0: I'm tired of hearing about money, 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 money. I just want to play the game, drink, <laughs> and wear rock. Shaquille O'Neal said that. and rock are not sponsors, so I'm not saying the names. But I will say this: Welcome to High and Low. Good day and good night. Welcome to the High and Low Basketball Show. This is episode number 100, and Shandon, Woo! a.k.a. episode number 149. 49 was the jersey number worn by NBA champion Shandon Anderson, who was a member of that uh, 06 Miami Heat team with a rookie by the name of Dwayne Wade and a force of nature they call Shaq, who was fresh off a dynastic run in L.A. with Kobe Bryant. Uh, But back to Shandon Anderson, uh, younger brother, William Anderson, Willie Anderson. Who the hell is that? Shandon Anderson was 10 years into his NBA career at that point, appeared in 719 games, averaged about 7.4 points per game, not about exactly 7.4 points per game, 45% from the field, 31% from three. You know, he was uh, drafted 54th overall in that legendary 96 NBA draft that spawned the likes of... Uh, the aforementioned Kobe being Brian, along with Allen Iverson, Steve Nash, Ray Allen. That 06 season would be his final season in the league. Uh, what a way to cap off a career, by the way. Uh, but he would uh, make the decision to retire and embark on another journey. Shortly after retiring from the NBA, Shandon Anderson went to culinary school. That's right. He spent three years in culinary school and eventually opened Drink Art. A vegan restaurant in Atlanta. That's right. This man became a vegetarian chef. That's amazing. This proves that there is life beyond the NBA. Life that has nothing to do with sports media. But hey. Uh, my name is Ike Amechi. Around here, we live by a principle governed by the high and low lives of the world, which means we talk about basketball, especially and specifically the NBA. And we talk about it at any time, anywhere, north, south, east, west, high, and low. This week on the show. I'm going to jump back into the business of basketball. You know, I love to do that. Specifically, the business of the NCAA tournament, March Madness. I'm always following the money. So, you know, I said it last week. I don't watch enough college hoops, uh, but maybe the financial ecosystem of college basketball will pull me back in. I don't know. We'll see. I'm also adding another song to High and Low's NBA soundtrack at the end of the show. uh, So stay tuned for all that. Before we lock in, let me just check in real quick. This week, I'm recording from a, a cabin in the woods. It's not really, oh, okay, I don't know, it's not really a cabin. It's more like a whole house, but it's definitely in the woods. Uh, I'm getting strong parts unknown vibes right now. Uh brought the family out here for a little relaxation for the week. I hope I don't regret that. Just, just a word of advice to everyone. Don't watch. Videos on TikTok about wendigos, skinwalkers, and Bigfoot. Not when you're surrounded by trees and nothingness, man. It's, it's, uh, I don't know. Everything looks like a bad situation in the middle of the night. Got me watching episodes of Bluey with my kids just to to clean the (laughs) palate. I did watch Swarm with my wife. Uh, That's a series by Donald Glover. Uh, Much more disturbing than expected. Crime labels it as a thriller comedy. That's not true. Uh, But regardless, it was a good watch. I would recommend. Thank you so much! Anyway, listeners, thank you for joining me for another installment of the program. Another week, another episode, more NBA. So, of course, more high and low this week in NBA history. Magic with Sideline. What do you mean by that? On March 27th, 1994, Magic Johnson... Made his triumphant return to the NBA and to the Lakers of Los Angeles after retiring a few seasons earlier. However, uh, Magic returned as the Lakers head coach after he was urged by Lakers owner Jerry Buss to take the job. Now, Magic told media that he'd always had a desire to coach, it was always in the back of his mind. Uh, the team was 28 and 38 at the time, and uh, featured five of Magic's former teammates. Uh, so in his return, the Lakers beat the Bucks 110-101 with Magic on the sidelines, of course, coaching. Uh, the interesting thing about this was Magic's contract. He was still being paid as a player through his guaranteed player contract, and uh, signed a separate contract as a coach contract that had no compensation tied to it so basically magic was coaching for free get the out of here still getting paid as a player but coaching for free the hype and excitement of magic's return fueled the lakers to a great start you know they won five of their first six games but uh they would then tailspin and lose their next five and then magic would resign as head coach it was that fast it happened that quickly uh so in a statement he made Uh, that was a complete reversal of his words, his earlier words when he stepped into the role. He said it was never his dream to coach. (laughs) Uh, Smart decision for Magic. because Right after that, soon after that, he chose to purchase 5% of the Lakers. uh, Then that was in June of 1994. Much better deal, if you ask me. Anyway, that's a little something for the NBA History Nerds. Things are certainly happening in the NBA today, so let's talk about it. Let's talk about something important. I have a question from Alim in Toronto, Canada. His question is this. In my opinion, the talk around awards and all NBA teams gets toxic, which is why I agreed with you uh, with your take on biased opinions. Since the media vote on these awards, do you think they're influenced by extreme public opinions? Uh, First of all, thank you for the question, Alim. I appreciate you. Uh, And thank you for agreeing with me. That's always nice. (laughs) Uh, And hey, I I agree with you back. The the conversations around the MVP race specifically, uh, they've become pretty divisive uh, from a fan perspective. Uh, But I think as NBA media has become more editorialized in recent years, the divisive opinions usually... Uh, relegated to barbershops and you know basketball courts and stuff like that. Well, those opinions, I think they begin to bleed into analysis until you can't really differentiate between the two, you know. And it's it's a it's a slippery slope, given the fact that NBA media determine the outcome of these races. You know, they vote on the awards, all NBA selections, and I don't know, man. The concern from from some perspectives is the incentives tied to awards and all NBA selections. And so, for example, John Moran, you know, as part of his contract, he could earn almost $40 million in bonuses. Well, I shouldn't say that. A bonus of almost $40 million. Let me put it that way. That's if he makes an all NBA team this year. And I think, I don't know, he was well on his way to achieving that before he was suspended. We won't get into the details of that. But now he's at risk of having his season judged subjectively based on a person's opinion of his actions rather than his performance on the court. I don't know. It's a very gray area, but I don't know. What's the alternative? I'm not sure if I answered your question, but yes, I do believe that the discourse is very toxic. But anyway, thank you for your question, Aline. Appreciate you. Uh, Keep listening quick reminder to high and low lives if you want to leave a question for us to answer on the show just drop a dm on tiktok at more high and low and drop a dm on instagram at get high and low uh links to those are in the show notes it feels like a pretty good time for us to take a break i'm gonna go check the backyard because i heard some noises uh but when i come back we're gonna talk about college basketball we'll be right back on more high and low This moment is brought to you by High and Low listeners this week on the High and Low NBA show. Listeners were asked to share their top five players who never made an all NBA team. Now, this one was tough. So I was I wasn't surprised <laughs> uh, when we heard from Bigums in Thousand Oaks, California. Uh, Bigums always coming through because this one this one was tough. Uh, we had to go back and forth a bit with this one. Um, But Biggums landed on a list of five, starting from number five, Mike Conley, who finally made his first All-Star team in 2021 after 13 seasons. Man, that's criminal behavior on the part of the All-Star or All-NBA selection process, or both. Um, Number four is four-time All-Star and NBA champ Rasheed Wallace. Uh, So hard to believe they never picked Sheed for at least a third team. Uh, Number three is Kyrie's uncle, his godfather, Rod Strickland. Uh, You know this is a travesty if you're familiar with Strick's game. He never made an all-star team, no all-NBA selections, uh, and you would laugh if you watched Strickland play for even three minutes. I mean, his omission is proof. The selection process is is political, man. Strick was never a media favorite, and he had a certain reputation that kind of followed him from team to team, much like his nephew. So I agree wholeheartedly with Biggums here. Number two is Jamal Crawford. Great choice by Biggums. Uh, similar to Rod Strickland, you just have to watch Jamal Crawford play for a few minutes to agree with this being a travesty. Uh, and it's almost like the league knew. then they just pacified him with that Sixth man award. Three times. Badness. And Biggums number one is legendary big man Nate Thurman. Hall of Famer, seven-time All-Star. Now, to be fair, Nate Thurman was named to the all-defensive team five times, but that wouldn't disqualify him from this list. And the league only had two all-NBA teams back then. Again, it doesn't disqualify him. Um, he was also named to the NBA's 75th anniversary team, so recognized as one of the top 75 players in the history of the game. Uh, hey, great list, Biggums. Thank you for sharing. Much appreciated as usual. Now, let's get back to the program. And we are back. Welcome back to the program. I mentioned earlier in the intro, you know, I was talking a little March Madness uh, last episode, but mainly about the fact that I don't really watch the college game as much as I used to. And it got me thinking about the money, as is usually the case. They say that if you're looking for the truth, you'll find it when you follow the money, which is why I'm always interested in the economics of the game and the NCAA financial ecosystem is not exempt from that fascination. Uh, the NCAA tournament—it's a money machine, much like the NBA. But the difference is is the pay structure. You know, historically, college players have been categorized as amateur athletes, which means they they couldn't be paid to play. Which also means the money generated from the product those players are a part of—that money goes to the schools and the NCAA. More on that later. The March Madness, the tournament. The NCAA tournament—it's a huge cash generator. But how is that cash generated, and where does it go? That's what we're going to get into. The tournament, March Madness, is one of the most exciting and highly anticipated sporting events in the world. Never mind basketball in the world. Every year, people from all over the U.S., Canada, and beyond—they tune in to watch, you know, 68 college programs compete for the national title. However, while March Madness be Be a thrilling sporting event, it's an incredibly lucrative business, a golden cash cow, if you will. In fact, the tournament generates billions of dollars in revenue for the NCAA and its partners, making it one of the most important events in American sports and business. Now, TV broadcasting rights are one of the most important revenue streams for the NCAA during March Madness. In 2016, the NCAA signed a 14-year deal with CBS and Turner worth $8.8 billion just to broadcast the tournament. The deal is set to expire in 2032, currently one of the largest broadcasting deals in all of sports. Uh, Most of this revenue is distributed to the NCAA's member schools, with a portion also going to conferences and the NCAA itself. This is hand over fist money what they call stupid money. It's also kind of funny money. It's funny money. The broadcasting deal is a huge source of revenue and it's going to continue to grow in size. And here's why. Now the tournament back in 2019 drew an average of 10.5 million viewers per game across all platforms, which includes broadcast television, uh, cable and streaming services. Now this number was up from 10.3 million viewers in 2018. Now in 2022, 10.7 million viewers tune in per game. In comparison, the first few rounds of the NBA playoffs pull, I don't know, 3 to 4 million viewers per game. You know, that number climbs to about 12 million during the NBA Finals. And that's the NBA. So for the NCAA to pull over 10 million easy, you can see why the broadcasting deal would be so expensive. Now, in addition to the broadcasting rights, the NCAA generates revenue from ticket sales, right? just like the NBA. Each year, the NCAA sells tickets to the tournament games, which which are usually held in various venues around the country, around the United States. Take 2019 as an example. The NCAA reported that the tournament drew more than 680,000 fans, and that generated over $160 million in revenue, just from that alone. And this ticket revenue is distributed to the host schools, you know, in the conferences and, of course, the NCAA itself. Now, the host schools typically receive a portion of the revenue from the tickets sold at the respective venues, their arenas, while the NCAA and the conferences receive a portion of the overall venue from the tournament. Now, this, this revenue is used to fund different initiatives, programs that are supposed to support uh, student athletes and college sports overall. Now, I'd I'd be interested to see the percentage of revenue that goes towards these programs and what percentage is pocketed by the NCAA, but surprise, surprise, (laughs) I, I couldn't find a single piece of information on that. I'll keep digging, and if I find anything, you'll be the first to know, but moving on. All right, you guys, what's next? And let's move on to another source of revenue, sponsorship and advertising. Big, big source of revenue, just like in the NBA. Uh, the tournament attracts a wide range of corporate sponsors, including major brands like Coca-Cola, AT&T, Capital One. You'll see those brands, those logos everywhere, uh, especially this year. Now, these companies pay obscene amounts of money to have their logos and advertisements ubiquitously displayed during the tournament, in addition to sponsoring events and activations that are associated with the tournament, of course. A few years back, the NCAA reported that it had generated over $1.2 billion in sponsorship and licensing revenue over the past decade. Now, this revenue, as is the case with ticket revenue, it's used to, of course, fund initiatives, programs for, you guessed it, uh, student athletes. Same thing applies here. Show me the percentages. Show me the money. Now, similar to the NBA, the NCAA also benefits from merchandise sales during March Madness, of course. You know, fans are just going to be throwing their money at the wide range of NCAA-branded merchandise. You know, these are jerseys, T-shirts, hats, all types of other apparel. Now, in 2019, the NCAA, a few years back, again, the NCAA reported over $22 million in merchandise sales during the tournament, um, this revenue, of course, you see a pattern here. It's distributed to the NCAA's member schools and conferences, as well as uh, to the NCAA itself. Uh, and then some of that money, of course, goes to initiatives and programs that are built to support student athletes. Keep dreaming. Let's take a quick break, uh, just because again, I'm in the middle of the woods. What is wrong with you? The moon is high. Something, something's howling outside. I don't know. Could be the wind. But uh, I'm gonna go close the front gate. I gotta lock some doors. Turn on some security cameras. <laughs> uh, when I come back, we're gonna get into how this money is funneled back to the schools. We'll be right back with more high and low. This episode of the High and Low NBA Show is brought to you by the newest thrill ride at Patrick Beverly's Fantasy Theme Park, the Pat Bev Emotional Roller Coaster. You're guaranteed to lose your lunch and a few brain cells. Ride it today. Let's get back to High and Low. And I am back. So it was just the wind. It was just the wind, but the doors are locked and the house is secured Everyone's sleeping right now. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, let's jump back into the money pit and uh, figure out how these schools get a piece of the pie. So this year in the NCAA tournament, 68 teams got an invitation to play in a tournament. Each of those teams conferences, they get a piece of a pot of money known as the BPF, the basketball performance fund. And last year, 2022, the fund was nearly $170 million. That's a a big chunk of change. That's not a small amount of money. Now, I'm not sure how much of this is new information to you, but listen to this. For each game that a team plays, its conference gets a payout, which is based on its performance over a six-year rolling period. You need to be consistent, which provides a clear advantage to bigger programs and conferences. Now, those conferences get units for their tournament participation. So if a team makes it all the way to the championship game, to the title game, it can earn as many as five units. If a team makes the championship game from the first four bracket, it could earn a total of six units. Now in 2022, a unit was worth an estimated $338,000. Now remember, the NCAA expanded to a field of 68 from 64, Those additional four teams play in the first four bracket, and basically you can compare that to the playing tournament in the NBA. So it's pretty tough to make it from that first four bracket all the way to the final game. If you're in that first four bracket, that means that you're not a very high seed, but that's what it takes to get those six units. Now every conference wants as many of its schools in the tournament as possible because that will, of course, increase the payout that it receives. For smaller, lesser-known conferences, the the money from that fund can represent a major portion of their annual income. It's not a, a drop in the bucket at all. For a surprise team that is virtually unknown and, and makes uh, makes it through all those rounds, they can get five to six. Units in a payout, that cash injection uh, can make a huge difference for its conference. Huge. For the larger conferences like ACC, SEC, you know, it's basically a, a cherry on top of the Sunday. Now, overall, the business of the NCAA tournament, March Madness, it's a huge, huge enterprise. As I mentioned before, it generates billions of dollars in revenue every single year. You know, the student athletes who participate in these tournaments, in this tournament, I mean, they don't receive any direct financial compensation. They're not paid to play. Uh, The revenue generated by the tournament does provide significant financial support to the NCAA and and its schools, its member schools. But college athletes have not been satisfied with the financial model, which is why you've had players like LaMelo Ball, Scoot Henderson pass on this route to the NBA. You know, you got Brandon Miller. Who's a star freshman out of Alabama this year? He's their best player, projected to go in the top four in the draft. He's seriously considered the G League and the NBL in Australia, but uh, he decided to go with Alabama. Lucky for Alabama, uh, and he's he's currently caught up in a serious case that could derail all of that. So maybe he should have gone to the NBL or the G League. I don't know. That's for another episode. I digress. The issue of athlete compensation is a contentious one. It has been a contentious one. It's been ongoing. And many would argue that the NCAA should provide more financial support to to its athletes. Now, the NCAA has faced numerous challenges, legal challenges, um, litigation in recent years over the policies on athletes. Now, while players make no money from March Madness, they can now get paid from endorsement deals following a narrow uh, Supreme Court ruling back in 2021. And this was after the NCAA blocked players from earning money for years. Now, is this enough? Obviously not. Or Victor Wembanyama would be in a Kansas uniform, or he'd be playing in in North Carolina or something like that. But it's a step in the right direction. Um, As I've illustrated, there's too much money flying around for the NCAAs financial ecosystem to omit athletes. The athletes are the driving force behind the product that generates all of this money. It's a no brainer, but that's just me. That's just me. All right, you guys, what's next? Before I sign off, I want to drop a gem for high and lows, NBA soundtrack. Yes. You know, I love doing this. It's one of my favorite things to do on the show. Uh, I had to dig in the crates for this classic smooth record by Pete Rock and CL smooth. One of the greatest duos in rap history. Many consider Pete Rock to be one of the greatest producers in hip hop history, and I would strongly agree with that opinion. Strongly. Uh, this Pete Rock and CL track is from their second full length album titled Main Ingredient, and the song's title is It's On You. As I build my currency to expand, expand. call it progress. When I bless my territory, your respect you, but can yeah. just keep it real. It's on you. It's on you, baby. And this track sums up the struggles and tribulations of one Luka Doncic in Dallas uh, Because at the end of the day, Luka, it's on you Why the f- I can't shoot three-point shots? That brings us to the end of this episode of High and Low and I hope you enjoyed this information thank you very much for joining me this week subscribe to High and Low anywhere you find podcasts make us a part of your weekly routine of course you know where to find us We're on Instagram TikTok Twitter YouTube again I'll put those links in the show notes once again music is by Live of the Enjoy Music Group you can find Live on Twitter and on Instagram at L-Y-V-E that's the music you're listening to right now that intro outro music love it uh, additional music is by Sonny Rockwell of The Goodness Can't Find That Guy Anywhere. Sound design is by Vaughn August. This is a Vaughn Abraham podcast, just in case you didn't know. So on behalf of Mal 9000, who is quiet today, and the rest of the High and Low contributors, I'm Ike Amechi Thank you for listening to High and Low. And I'll talk to you next week.